Welcome to the Opportunity Zone. We call it that because there are so many investment opportunities waiting for you, not just conventional, but also private and alternative ones. Your hosts are Chris Magda and Dan Summers. This show is going to move you to change the way you look at your investments and your future. Now, here's private lender Chris Magda and industry veteran Dan Summers. Well, good morning, everybody. This is Chris Magda. I'm here with my partner, Dan Summers, and this is the Opportunity Zone. Uh, we had a great show last week. Uh, Dan and I had uh, Bo Berry on, and we got deep into uh, some of the uh, opportunities that exist out there in, in multifamily. And this week, uh, we we're very excited to have Matt Summers and Avi Fector, and they're going to kind of go into uh, Opportunity Zones and the uh, some of the uh, things that they've seen over the uh, the last couple of years and what they see coming forward. So Dan, I just wanted to uh, reach back into where we started our last show just for a bit. Um, just kind of recap everybody where we were talking about how you first got into the industry. And I want to kind of dovetail that back into um, where we are today and, and what you see going on in 2021. We started to highlight that a little bit um, but while we had Bo on and I'd like to kind of re-engage that and then get into uh, to Matt and to Avi here in the second segment. So uh, talk to us a little bit about where, where that transition was made for you and, and where syndication really started to take hold for you and then what you've been doing with eVest because I'm definitely curious and I know the, uh, our audience is to find out more about eVest as well. Well, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And like you, I'm, I'm kind of excited to hear about uh, the Opportunity Zone development side of the industry. That is a nuance that uh, was not available when I was back in the business in the right. old days, if you will. It started in 2017. But the real estate business is, you know, entirely different today, yet it remains a lot the same, frankly. Uh, syndication to syndication, how we do it has changed immensely. Thank you, the SEC. Mm -hmm. For the first time since the 1933 Securities Act, they took a bold move and created uh, certain regulations like Reg D 506C pursuant to the Jobs Act of 2013, and that changed the playing field, changed the playbook uh, tremendously. However, it's still syndicating capital for acquisitions, uh, development, etc. Tell but us, the end, just to, I hate to jump in there, but for those of those that may be on our call that don't know what syndication is, can you break that down real quick for them? It's it's basically uh, creating a private place placement. Uh, private placement offering, which allows you to raise debt and or equity from the general public. Uh, in my case, uh, Reg D 506C was passed to allow for two things, which was uh, something I didn't have available to me, and that was the general solicitation of your offering. Mm. So you can actually market your offering to the world, okay? Uh, back in the day when I was syndicating Capital. We were dialing for dollars and passing the head at the cathedral and the synagogue trying to raise capital, right. uh, but we could not generally solicit to the public. Uh, so why, the, why couldn't you do that? Kind of, it's basically against the law. I mean, that, that it, it comes down to that, Chris. It was against the law to publicly market your properties and solicit the, 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 the offering to raise capital. Which was a huge barrier. So if, unless you had a broker, dealer, or registered investment advisor, you were out, right? Exactly. We were only allowed to raise capital from friends, family, and clients. All right. So, you know, we'd so be talking to- pretty small. <laughs> well, that's why, you know, dialing for dollars and participating right. in the Lions Club, and, and, you know, uh, et cetera, was very important sure. because, 
you know, you grew your, your relationships that way. Uh, and the, the other nuance was uh, the amount of capital you could raise. So Reg D506C allowed you to generally solicit. Okay, however, There's however, you can only accept funds from an accredited investor. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, step two. What is an accredited investor for those that don't know? I know that's kind yeah. of... For some, we may think it's basic, but for some people, they, they may not even know what that is. Well, it's, it's an interesting nuance. So the accreditation actually started in 1982. Okay. Okay. And the benchmarks for accreditation have remained the same. They have never been adjusted for inflation, which is a nuance most Incredible. people don't know. It's staggering. So it's, it's $200,000 in annual income for an individual, 300000 jointly with your spouse. So you could have somebody that's accredited and not even know it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, There's probably some accredited out there as investors that are listening to our show right now that don't even know that they're accredited. Well, here, here's, a, here's a dynamic. In 1982, there were 500,000 accredited investors. Today, in 2021, there's over 11 million. Wow. 11, anyone driving a FedEx truck, I'll say it again, Anyone driving a FedEx truck more than likely qualifies as an accredited investor. And so, so they've never had, they've never had gone through like Invest Ready, which you use on, in, on Evest technology. If they haven't gone through that accreditation process, which is pretty painless, they may not even know that they are. Well, they may know when they do their tax returns, okay, or a financial you. statement. The average guy, the average, average, average guy isn't really an active investor because he still thinks he's got to talk to his CPA or Wall Street right. or legal counsel to invest when in fact there's platforms like, you know, selfishly the Evest marketplace that offers alternative investments for as little as $1,000. So, you know, I, 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 here's a quick story. I mean, I, I had someone power washing my deck around my pool. All right. And we got to chatting. It turns out he's accredited and he invested in one of our cannabis offerings. He said, I always wanted to get in. I never thought, A, how to find it, and B, that I could afford to get in. And it was as little as $1,000, which, which is amazing. So getting back well, to your original you question. They, they think that they've got to have you know, $50,000, $100,000, even though they're accredited for some of these guys. And the amount, just because they're accredited, doesn't mean that they've got to invest a, you know, a, a bottom floor of 25000 or more, they could invest something as small as $1,000, even though they're accredited. They may not know that. Well, you can even take that a step further, okay? okay? And you can look at companies like Robinhood, okay? Read the headlines last week. Robinhood, investors, non-accredited investors can now invest, okay, through a new regulation that the SEC passed, which is Reg CF, as in crowdfunding, mm-hmm. Okay. And that, that benchmark ju- is being moved as we speak. Uh, so normally it's up to a million dollars per offering. It's being moved. It was to have been moved last month, but the Biden administration put off all changes to the SEC rules until perhaps March. It's being moved to $5 million. So to take my first example a little further, Reg CF is going to allow offerers, okay, syndicators, people with startups, People with startups wanting to open up a restaurant, wanting to start a technology company, can now raise capital from any Tom, Dick, and Harry in increments as low as 100 bucks and still be legal pursuant to Reg CF. Now, the only holdback is that there's only 42 
approved Reg CF platforms out there. So it's a process getting approved by FINRA, uh, the SEC, etc. But a you're going to see the process. You think, uh, it's an expensive. It's an expensive process. It's an expensive process. I know it because Evest is going through it right, right now. We'll be. We'll be. We'll have a Reg CF platform here within the next couple of weeks. But it's an expensive. Uh, lengthy process to get approved by FINRA, et cetera, et cetera. But once you're approved, you can raise money from anyone, anyone, literally accredited or not accredited. So it, it changes the playbook expect, once again. Would you accept? Would you expect to to probably have a group start off in in Regulation D five hundred six C, prove kind of their their ability capacity to perform, and then move into Reg CF? What what would you say would be kind of the the flow of that? Because if it's a process to get um, to get in there, uh, and there's probably a little bit more expensive or extensive uh, background checks, et cetera, on the on the sponsors themselves, would it make more sense to start off in Reg E five hundred six C, or can they just jump right into CF? What what would be your recommendation on that? I would suspect uh, because there are some restrictions on the general solicitation laws with Reg CF then a Reg D 506C is definitely the way to begin the process because you can get your offering out into the general populace. Weeks, right, and weeks, uh-huh. months or years, right? Yeah, well, it, it, it'll take months yeah. to get approved. Uh, and once again, there's only 42 approved platforms out there right now. So you're held captive if you're a sponsor and expect to write a ten dollars to $20,000 check up front to your attorneys just to begin the documentation and legalese side of things. Starting, right? It's just starting. And then there's fees, fees, and more fees. So not an inexpensive endeavor, but just the same. I mean, it's it's changing the it's changing the, the playbook, it's changing the field. It's allowing for more everyday investors to move off of Wall Street and invest on their own. And I think that's where that's where this market's going. It's fractional, uh, right? It's heading fractional. It's yeah, it's fractional. Uh, it's moving away from the, the bureaucrats, the politicians, the uh, REITs, the investment advisors. You know, I've always laughed and I said, you know, the guys driving the walls, the Rolls Royces and the yachts, those are hedge fund managers. Okay, those are the people managing the capital on behalf of the investors. Why in the world are they making so much money just investing third party with no liability? third-party capital. It doesn't make any sense. So that movement away from Wall Street, i.e. GameStop, for example, okay, just to pick or AMC. Yeah, I was going to try to segue into that, but we're jumping in right now. So let's get yeah. it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, investors are tired. So, you know, yep. investors my age are so used to using Wall Street, CPAs, registered investment advisors, that that's become customary. Millennials, however, are tired of that. And then introduce technology which allows for A, instant gratification, which everyone once, once, wants. You've got Reddit, so that gives you massive information at your fingertips to make decisions, okay? And then you've got platforms which to invest into or through, like Robinhood, for example, or other crowdfunding platforms. But so, you see what they did, right? So even with Robinhood, they put a, they put a stop. They put a ceiling on there, right? That's gonna have that's gonna have a that's gonna have a rebound effect on the market as well from those who who don't like that they don't want that control stop on them. Well, we're gonna have to see how that plays out. Okay, right. so there's already some uh, some investigation in terms of the capacity to put a stop on that, et cetera. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays yeah. out. But it's still indicative of where the marketplace is going. It is. Okay? 
Yeah, and, and, and the and, fact that they're moving so so along the lines of what you're saying, you know, in the private world, the world that we live in, those things don't happen, right? There's nobody to put a stop or a, or a ceiling on you. The only ceiling is your is the is the uh, the offering itself and your ability to get the word out of them. Exactly, exactly. That's why private placements are so uh, popular. Uh, the Reg D five hundred six C allowing for general solicitation is is a massive opportunity. And you can see that part of the industry has actually exploded uh, because prior to that, prior to 2013, you know, you had no advantages in terms of going to market with your offering. Uh, you had to just strictly work within your own little group of, of relatives and friends and clients, et cetera. So the, the, the playbook changed. Uh, digital technology, you can now reach, it's, it's, it's changed an entire industry. You can now reach tens of thousands of investors as quickly as you can reach out to one. Uh, in, adu- in addition to you know, things such as dividend distributions immediately, distributions of profit and loss statements, communication, uh, dissemination of offerings, it's instantaneous. And that gets back to my original comment. You know, yeah. everyone, want, everyone wants instantaneous gratification. That's the world we live in. And now it's reality with technology. Well, and that's going to lead us up here to our break just a moment because we're going to have a shameless profit timeout. But I, I wanted to uh, just real briefly – um, we're going to have in the next segment coming up, we're going to have Matt Summers and Avi Fector. They're, they're in the Opportunity Zone space. Um, we're super excited about having them on and learning more about um, their take. They've, it's one thing to, uh, to you know, pioneer and to endeavor. It's another thing to be successful at it, and they've been heavily successful at it. So we're looking forward to having them on the other side of the break, and we'll be back with you shortly. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Technology is quickly becoming the number one capital syndication platform in the U.S. Used by real estate professionals, cannabis growers, movie producers, and startups, Eva has solved two pain points, time and money. Its platform is 95% faster and 95% less expensive. As a Reg D506C compliant platform, eVest will rapidly design and prepare your private placement memorandum, upload no-cost operating and subscription agreements, seamlessly accredit investors, and automate funding and dividend distributions. That's why eVest is number one. Tax laws are constantly changing. How can you keep up? Tune in to the Tax Answers Advisor with host Marcelino Dodge. By working together year-round, we'll help you implement proactive tax strategies to ensure you are paying the least amount of tax possible and work to increase your business cash flow. We'll help you file your business and individual tax returns accurately, safely, and properly the first time. Listen every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Once in a while, an investment comes along that is safe, secure, with high yields. Approved project to build 61 apartments in an opportunity zone, Wood Village, the fast-growing suburb of Portland, Oregon. The developer is offering the high yield of a minimum 20% per year return on investment to partners. The commitment will be backed up with the developer's share of profits upon sale of the project. 
The experienced contractor will supply a completion bond to assure a timely build-out, seeking total equity of $3.5 million. Details found on website www.firstwestrealty.net. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You're listening to The Opportunity Zone. You're invited to send us your questions and comments, and we can respond on a future show. The email address is dsummers at evesttech.com. That's dsummers at e-v-e-s-t-t-e-c-h dot com. Now, back to The Opportunity Zone. And welcome back to The Opportunity Zone. Um, This is Chris Magda, private lender with my uh, partner here, Dan Summers, uh, industry leader and, and veteran. And we've got uh, an exciting show left here with you guys here in this hour. And we're going to have uh, Matt Summers and also Avi Fector on with us. And uh, we're looking forward to some color and some contrast with them. In our last segment, uh, Dan and I were discussing syndication. And we're going to kind of bring that over into this part. Uh, Dan, I just wanted to uh, to thank you for some of that highlight that we got into in the last segment because I'm already starting to get some calls back in here. Uh, with some really good kudos about that. So that's that's exciting. Take us a little bit back into um, the syndication and kind of give us uh, an introduction, if you will, into Matt and to Avi. Oh, sure, sure. So at the end of the day, we're in for some really exciting times in the very near future because of the deregulation of the, the syndication process. And it's really opened the floodgates. It's going to allow accredited and non-accredited investors uh, and all types of nuances in terms of capital structure, deal structure, et cetera. And coincidentally, we happen to have a couple of Opportunity Zone uh, partners, developers, their companies Equity Plus out of Mississippi, uh, Matt Summers and, and Avi Fector. Uh, they've grown from a twinkle in the eye to a couple of the most um, successful Opportunity Zone uh, developers. Uh, Avi's the, the expert in terms of you know, low-income taxation and historic tax credits, new markets, tax credits, et cetera. Matt's the, the general contractor. Uh, Matt's got an interesting uh, background. Uh, he's a retired Green Beret, uh, migrated from, uh, from Ohio, Chicago, Ohio, landed up in Mississippi. Uh, along the way, he stopped for five years at the Special Forces Green Berets. And I'd be curious, Matt, you know, how do you make the transition from being a Special Forces operator to being a, a real estate developer and in Jackson, Mississippi, of all places. And by the way, thank you for joining. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, it's basically the same thing. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> the transition was great. Um, it, when I came out of the service, I was in the service for about seven years. Uh, and during those seven years, you know, we were hot and heavy in uh, Operation Enduring Freedom and Iraqi Freedom. And uh, I was overseas a lot. And when you're overseas a lot doing that type of work, you start to think differently. You start to speak differently. You start to, you know, uh, portray the traits of a warrior. And that's not great for everyday civilian life. So I thought, you know, I'd take a beat and go to grad school, uh, kind of cool off and resharpen my real estate skills. And that's what I did. So I went to Clemson for a couple of years, participated in their master's of real estate development program and ended up being a great stop. Um, I was surrounded by uh, people who really appreciated the fact that I was in the service. They were very supportive of the transition. Mm-hmm. 
and the transition was very easy for me. Uh, I found work immediately uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, working for a family office, doing really exciting development work. And uh, I worked for that company for 10 years. And then two years ago, I left and hung my own shingle with Avi, and we've been off to the races ever since. How about you, Avi? You've got an interesting background from the analytical side. How'd you get together with Matt? Uh, pure dumb luck. We met each other. <laughs> <laughs> A project they came to us to help get new markets financing on and he was still working for the family office and that was over a decade ago and for some reason he likes my bad jokes so here we are now that's, that's an important quality <laughs> so opportunity zones it seems to be you know your specialties and it, it's a it's a very bastardized word if you will everyone seems to know have heard of wants to be in the opportunity zone. I know here at EVEST, we get calls weekly from opportunity zone developer wannabes, but, and you guys have been there and done it at a very high level. I guess first, can you guys dispel the mystery surrounding you know, opportunity zones and opportunity zone development? And is it good? Is it good, you know, is, is it good for uh, the environment? Is it, is it good for the industry and so on? I'll, I'll take the first crack. Uh, simple way to think about it is at first there are way more opportunity zone developers and projects in opportunity zones than there are opportunity zone investors. Mm. Uh, if you're an opportunity zone investor, you're the hot girl at the dance uh, because there's just not that many out there. And the reason for that is it's a capital gains play. To be an opportunity zone investor, what you're doing is uh, delaying and reducing capital gains taxes that you have already become uh, liable for by profits and something else. So if you invest in an opportunity zone deal, you don't pay them for seven years and there's a 15% reduction in what you do pay. And then when you exit that investment after 10 years, you won't pay any taxes, on any gains you made within that project. That's it. That's the whole ballgame. And almost anything is an eligible project if it happens to be in the right census tract. And there are websites you can use to look up whether or not your project's in the right census tract. The, the reason why there's just not a ton of opportunity zone investors out there is A, you gotta have the capital gains, and B, it's only a 200 to 300 basis point improvement to the IRR you would have had in the deal anyways. So can it does not- Can you break that down real quick for, the, for, for them, Matt, on the, uh, on the IRR for those that, that are new to the show that may not know what IRR is? I know that we do, but- can you break that down so they understand what that means from an internal you know, rate of return? Yeah, sir. That's the most common metric for measuring the success or failure of your real estate investment. Um, and you know, like Avi said, two to three hundred basis points, that's good, but it's not great. And here's the dynamic with Opportunity Zones is this program was created to incentivize investment in communities where there's not organic investment happening, right? And so you have to ask yourself, why why is there not organic investment happening in these communities? And typically it's because they're rural or economically depressed. And in rural and economically depressed communities, there's not high rents that justify new development. And so when, when projects are looking at uh, beginning in an opportunity zone area, they still have to pencil out. And what's happening is, developers or projects or investors really are looking at the economics of these projects and they're just not great projects down to before cash tax before tax cash flow and so it's it's really hard to make these products pencil 
And so they don't. And so you have to add the tax benefit, which a lot of underwriters don't do uh, on the first pass. And these projects don't make the cut for a lot of, of investors. Does that make sense? I think I just said it a does. Lot. Yeah, that was spot on. So Avi, does that, does that mean that you would almost have to have um, some internal investors from that location or like in a, in a you know, maybe a, 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 some alumni from a specific area like you guys uh, down south, you, you may be close to a college down there and maybe some of the alumni would almost have to kick in to try to get that rolling or some, or some group that's familiar with the area to make that happen? Or how, how have you seen it actually pan out? So we, we've closed on two Opportunity Zone uh, okay. where We've raised Opportunity Zone capital. Uh, it, in one case, it was an internal, as you said, internally sourced, um, mm-hmm. a family office that was already kind of involved in the deal anyways, had Opportunity Zone, sorry, had uh, capital gains they did need to offset. And so we just sourced it internally with them. Uh, the second we've done was we did get an institutional investor, but they were doing it as much to get Community Reinvestment Act credit because they were a, a joint venture between a fund and a bank as they were doing it for... It would have happened anyway is what you're saying, with or without an OZ. It, it, that, and that is kind of back to the point I was making. It does not make bad deals good. It makes deep deals a little bit better or good deals great. So all this begs the question, okay, why? This is a tough business, the opportunity, with a lot of hurdles, certainly legal hurdles, uh, census hurdles, et cetera. Why, why go through that? Why get into the opportunity zone ball game as a developer? Well, so that's actually been a good, a good example of that. Uh, the project we're doing in Pembroke, North Carolina, I can honestly say would not have happened without the OZ program, okay. despite all of its pitfalls. Uh, we, we, Matt and I have, along with our companies, uh, the 14 acres directly across the street from UNC Pembroke's campus. And UNC Pembroke a couple of years ago was designated a promise program uh, campus, one of three in the UNC system. So if you're a promise program campus, you pay $500 a month in-state tuition per semester. It's a bargain. You pay $2,500 a month, even out of state. Still so a bargain. $2,500, sorry, a semester, $2,500 a semester for a UNC degree, as Matt said. Incredible. That's incredible. Deal of the century. Yep. So UNC Pembroke was at, started seeing explosive, not surprising, enrollment growth. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the school system would say to anyone who asked, we have enough faculty, no problem there. We have enough academic space, no problem there. We don't have beds. Mm. We need more housing beds, and we're running out of room and the ability to build it on campus. So we See, got Tuskegee, Tuskegee has the same issue down there, down south as well. Tuskegee has an opportunity zone right there, and they're and they're on the EVES platform, and they're looking at the exact same thing with alumni. So I'm very interested in this. So we we got the 14 acres across the street. We got site plan approval to build over 400 beds, mm-hmm. and all quote unquote we needed to start phase one was about four million dollars of true equity. Right, we 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 got a loan from self help for most of the financing. We just needed good old equity right. as a developer, $4 million. Kind of a gap, right. And the problem we found and you know, is that Pembroke, while it is growing quickly, still has not crossed the 10,000 student threshold. Mm-hmm. And a lot of student housing institutional investors won't touch anything on a campus with less than 10,000 kids. 
And why is that? What's why is that metric so important? Is just because of the ROI on it for making sure that they've got enough cash flow coming in from the from the students, or what? I what think, is that? I think it's a market risk perspective, right? If you've got okay. over ten kids, not worry about filling your beds. And not only that, but then the area around it, you can make sure that if you want to put an additional, you know, A, a plus, B plus, um, they're, they're, that's that's more available too. Is that what you're kind of looking at as the long term play yeah. on that? So, so we got a lot of notes. Okay. And then, uh, but then we were able to find this one CEI Woodmont fund that has opportunity zone equity to deploy from their bank sponsor. Uh, but they are interested in community impact stories. They, they don't want to build luxury apartments. That's not what their mission is. Right. Their mission is to find community development projects that do have a big impact that also can generate decent returns that are then goosed by the opportunity zone benefit. Which makes sense. And so they came to the table and we've closed on financing for phase one. It's three quarters of the way done with construction. Matt's doing a great job ahead of schedule and under budget. And forgive me um, for jumping into the detail though. How did you get them over that hurdle? Cause that's, I know that's probably the, the elephant in the room that some are saying, well, you did it, but how did you do it? Like what, what, what was the secret? They didn't, have that hurdle. They, they didn't care how many kids there they were. They didn't care. Gotcha. It, yeah. They just didn't. Is there they, other, do you think there's well, others like that that can get around that, 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 that don't have the hurdle? Is it that maybe there's, there's some a few? Um, and it, what got them hooked was the community impact story of serving you know, the Pembroke campus, which is a majority minority campus. Uh, it's, a, it's actually the only historically Native American mm. university. You know, See, that's it, it, what Tuskegee's got going on down there, right? So, so, so a lot of they've got 250 students that are going over at, literally out of town because they don't have beds for them. They have almost the identical scenario, and they're they're a, you know historically black university or HBU. Sure. Um, this this plays into what they've got going on. So that's then they're on the EVS platform as well. So that that's why I had an interest in that. And I'm sure there's many more stories like that. But what what struck me was that you said the story. Free advertising plug because we're on and I have to. We are raising financing for phase two at UNC Pembroke. Phase one's 190 beds. Phase two, we'll finish it out with 300 beds. So we are back on the street trying to raise roughly $5 million of equity for phase two. Um, so on that note, Avi, tell us a little bit about that. You're on the street raising $5 million. Now, How long is the deal? It sounds like you know these are not overnight deals. These are lengthy deals. You know, what's the, the capital stack? What's the ROIs, RR, expected holding period, uh, et cetera? Tell us a little bit of those uh, economic dynamics. So for an opportunity zone investor to get the full benefit of doing it, you got to stay in 10 years. Because if you stay in 10 years, when you exit, you don't pay any capital gains on any profits you made. So most OZ investors do look at that 10-year horizon because – hey, if you hit a home run on a project, you don't want to pay taxes on it, right? Um, so that is the, the time horizon most OZ investors are, are looking at. Uh, most OZ investors will not settle for less than a 12 to 13% projected return uh, on their investment. Uh, some shoot for more. Um, and just that's a fund by fund decision. Uh, but once again, that's not cheap money. So, so is, is there an internal rate of return? Well, you know, at the end of the day, obviously, an IRR is indexed to time value of capital, and obviously, the shorter, the higher the IRR. So, in reality, if you're holding a capital out there for you know ten plus years, and getting a twelve percent internal rate of return, it's not a bad bad place for a family office to park some long term money. 
uh, kind of makes sense. But I think for you know the everyday investor, they're they've got so many other alternative investments for 50, 100 grand that's going to you know pop you know in 18, 22, 23 percent internal rate of return. I get that. So it sounds like these are these are long term deals, thin deals. I and I suspect from the you know the ownership capacity, the the general contractor capacity. You know, this has got to be you know fee driven, obviously, as the general construction, general contractor, et cetera. So, from the sponsor's perspective, tell me how you guys are structuring your returns, et cetera. This is not uh, a fee driven deal, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, we 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 really believe in the fundamentals of this deal. We think that given the location, you know, next to the school, uh, this is going to sell at a really low cap rate. Um, and so this is this is a long-term play for us. Um, we, we will be the cash flows are strong, and we think in ten years we're really going to have something to sell. What's the exit play? I mean, who's who would be a buyer for this at the end of the day? The 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 tax advantages have been bur- bought off, bought off, or burnt off, I should say. So is this strictly a cash on cash play at the end of ten years for you know an investor to buy this? Yes. Yeah. So it's a Honestly, I mean, our, our philosophy, we're probably just as likely to refinance and not sell, but same thing. Sure. Yeah, sure. Because right, you're fully vested, you're bought into it. So that'd be This it. is one of those deals we want our kids to have forever and ever. Sure. That's great. So is this something you guys are going to continue to specialize in? It sounds like you've got it down to a science because there's so many moving parts here. Uh, once you get it, you get it. And the barriers of entry sound like they're massive. A, to find the deals, but B, A, A, to understand it, B, to find the deals and C, to put the whole package together. It sounds like it's a, it's a, it's a tumultuous process at best. Is this something you guys are going to continue doing as developers? Well, we certainly won't run from them. Um, I, I don't know that we're actually on offense hunting down uh, opportunity zone projects specifically, but if we're in an opportunity zone, I think that we'll probably at least uh, – give them a hard look and and you brought up a good point earlier the 10-year horizon 10 years is a long-term investment horizon and that really narrows the field of potential investors out there and so that that scares a lot of people off immediately and that makes it even that much tougher to do a deal in an ozone um so again we're not scared of them if we see one and the market fundamentals are there uh we'll certainly take a run at it but we're not out there uh, on offense looking for them. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, you know, what's in the future for Equity Plus? You know, what kind of deals are you looking at? What are you seeing out there, I guess, is uh, is a better question. Well, we specialize in the weird stuff. Um, <laughs> so so uh, to your point, we, we like the high barriers to entry. Uh, our day-to-day is in low-income housing, uh, affordable housing, workforce housing. Uh, we use tax credit programs. Uh, like like low income housing tax credits, uh, historic tax credits. Um, we've we've got probably what site control of eight projects right now. We've got a few under construction. We're kicking one off in uh, July, uh, and, and it's all affordable workforce low income housing tax credit projects. And sometimes we couple that with uh, programs like HUD Section Eight or HAP, et cetera. So let's get into that, guys. I want to. Oh, that's a great stopping point because I want to get into HUD Section Eight here when we get out on the other side of the break. Just another uh, quick timeout, and we'll be right back. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Evest Technology is quickly becoming the number one capital syndication platform in the U.S. Used by real estate professionals, cannabis growers, movie producers, and startups, Evest solved two pain points time and money. Its platform is 95% faster and 95% less expensive. As a Reg D506C compliant platform, Evest will rapidly design and prepare your private placement memorandum, upload no-cost operating and subscription agreements, seamlessly accredit investors, and automate funding and dividend distributions. That's why Evest is number one. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Once in a while, an investment comes along that is safe, secure, with high yields. Approved project to build 61 apartments in an opportunity zone, Wood Village, the fast-growing suburb of Portland, Oregon. The developer is offering the high yield of a minimum 20% per year return on investment to partners. The commitment will be backed up with the developer's share of profits upon sale of the project. The experienced contractor will supply a completion bond to assure a timely build-out, seeking total equity of $3.5 million. Details found on website www.firstwestrealty.net. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to The Opportunity Zone. You're invited to send us your questions and comments, and we can respond on a future show. The email address is dsummers at evesttech.com. That's dsummers at e-v-e-s-t-t-e-c-h dot com. Now, back to The Opportunity Zone. Welcome back, everybody. This is Chris Magda here with Dan Summers, and you are listening to The Opportunity Zone. Uh, today with us, we've uh, been very fortunate to have Matt Summers and Avi Fector with us. And we've been, uh, for those of you that are just coming on, we've been going back over into uh, into opportunity zones and kind of uh, what some of the uh, pitfalls and, and some of the uh, long-range term investment strategies that can be made within side of the opportunity zones and then where we can uh, take advantage of syndication from there. So uh, during this segment, what we wanted to 
do is kind of dive into uh, section eight. We get that question. It's hard money lenders all the time. And I know Dan and I get that in syndication. So Matt, Avi, if you guys would just jump in and uh, Avi, you said you had a story about section eight. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear about that. So take a well, it, you know, there's two, there's two section eight program and there's the, the project base, which means the, the subsidy from the federal government goes to the building. And so the, whoever moves that building, if they're income eligible and income eligible is under, uh, depending on the program, 50% of area median income or 30% of area median income, the feds pay fair market rent to you, the landlord, and they get reimbursed from the tenant, the feds do, for a third of the tenant's income. Um, you, as a landlord, that's great because you've got the federal government paying a rent and not having to worry about COVID and all that other stuff causing interruptions of income. The other one, which right now that's pretty huge because there's a lot of that going on. Correct. And then there's the portable section eight program, which goes with the individual. Okay. So it, it, you don't get it as the building that it comes with the person. I see. Okay. So it follows the person, whichever building they go to. Correct. Oh, that's interesting. So when you say the word section eight, if you're getting into the field and investing, you want to know which one you're talking about. Right? Yeah, that, would be, buying, that would be a big deal. You might buy a building that has 100% Section 8 tenants in it, but that might be simply because they all came with their own voucher. Which means so, if they bail, you don't get the voucher. <laughs> correct. And then, right. Especially if fair market rent for that particular general area is higher than what you might be able to rent that unit to an individual off the street. Uh, things can get interesting, especially if you try and borrow against that income. And that's the funny story. When we were first doing lending to these programs, we'd be working with sponsors and they'd show up with a rent roll, show us the NOI and do a calc on how much debt the building could support. And let's just say the building could support ten million, a $10 million loan based on the rent roll. And then we'd do our own analysis and come back and go, well, yeah, but no banks are to give you more than eight. And of course, every developer wants to leverage themselves, you know, leverage as much as they can. So they would, we get these incredulous reactions about, oh, what, you're crazy, man, right, all this stuff. But then eventually <laughs> we would break it down from a look, if you emptied the building tomorrow and released it to non-Section 8 tenants, argue with these assumptions of what rents you're getting. And of course they couldn't because we were being active. Right, because they didn't have no backstop. <laughs> yeah. So that that is uh, the... The, the tricky part of looking at Section 8 buildings. Having said that, if you can buy a project-based building and you know, and you have any idea what you're doing, double-digit returns over a seven to 10-year period isn't nuts. Because as you said, especially in COVID, it's like buying a T-bill, except a better interest rate. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just had, I had some of uh, my uh, hard money clients that that are that were uh, were wanting to syndicate, and that's exactly what they did. They got a 62 unit building in Cleveland, um, and they were able to, to get financing on that. But so tell us, tell us a little bit more about um, uh, Section Eight, and what are some what are some opportunities that you see out there in it right now in the field? So one of the nuances with uh, Section Eight is that you've got to have a really good property management company that understands compliance. If if you fall out of compliance your rents are subject to recapture by the housing authority or HUD. And so it, it's not 
it's not intended to be run by a mom and pop shop who have no experience in running section eight. So that, that's mm. something I certainly want to be aware of. It's not, so it's not what you're saying is it's not an entry point. That's that needs to be something after you've, you've had some success in the past, you've, you've built a little bit of portfolio and you're making a transition now into that markets market space. It's just not, it's not for somebody that's uh, just getting started. Well, you, you certainly can if you have a property management company that understands how to run it. So okay. Can, so this, so then maybe if you put a syndication group together, you could come back in with with a, a PMG, a property management group, and and put them into that space, and maybe that's where you're able to qualify it because of their their background and their track record. That's that's 100 correct. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that compliance. You piqued my interest there. So, how difficult is it to stay within compliance, and what are some of the idiosyncrasies you need to meet? So, really, income verification is a big part of it. You got to make sure that your tenants are not making too much money to qualify for the program. Um, depending on who you're working with, the housing authority or HUD directly, uh, you have to work by, with, and through their systems. Uh, you know, HUD has their internal system called Tracks, and the reporting needs to be done in a certain way at a certain periodic inter interval. Um, and not knowing this going into it could cause you to not receive rent. Uh, it could cause you to forfeit rent uh, or to ultimately have to pay back rent that you've collected. Do you see, do you see a potential, um, uh, a little bit of a stopping point with now them talking about raising minimum wage up to $15? Do you think that'll have an impact on the market for you guys? In that space? It, anyway? it, it won't. This is Avi. It, it won't. Because uh, $15 minimum wage is still in many urban jurisdictions, you're still at less than 50% of AMI. You're still even less than 30% of area meeting income. I figured that's where you're going, but I knew I was going to get that question. So I figured it aired out. <laughs> so does, would it have an impact in, in, you know, Kansas? Maybe. Does it have an impact in New Jersey, New York, right. Maryland, Virginia? No. Where do you see, speaking of, speaking of location, because um, it's obviously the most important um, KPI in real estate, uh, what, what, where, where would you say would be the next, next locations to go out there? Not kind of giving away the farm, but what, what do you think are some of the, some of the locations that would be good, good areas for, to, to take a look at section eight? That doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, as long as it's project based section eight, once again, being very particular, open. Yep. Uh, as long as the feds are guaranteeing your rent, as long as you stay in compliance, doesn't really matter. At that point, it's more a function of property management. Where can you easily keep your arms around the building versus where is the building, right? Just depends on where your, as a developer or sponsor, footprint happens to be and where you can get easy access to. So, for example, for us, we wouldn't really look at Section 8 properties in Colorado, too far from where all of our bases of operations are to, to be a hands-on yeah, owner. Yeah, the arm that far. Yeah. Uh, versus if we lived in Phoenix, we'd be looking in Arizona, right? It's more of a where can you keep your arms around it, not where is it. Great. So, so historically, when I grew my company, we always figured out a little nuance in which to chase. And one of the little nuances we chased was properties in college towns, for example. And we, we felt that there was opportunity there, but not a lot of people, you know, chasing the bait, if you would. Uh, do you see that in, in Section 8 opportunities, perhaps in secondary, tertiary markets, and it's not a feeding frenzy like we're seeing 
in multifamily uh, across the United States? I mean, is there a niche there to be found in, in little secondary tertiary markets with Section 8? There's certainly a feeding frenzy even within the Section 8 world if you've got a 200 unit or larger property. It doesn't matter where it is. Uh, the institutional money or, and the big developers are going to chase it. I think where there's more of an opportunity, you got more of an opening for smaller buildings. Uh, not necessarily, it doesn't even matter where they are, just smaller because the big boys just aren't going to waste their time. Yeah, it's the same answer we got from Bo Berry last year or last yeah. week, I should say. He's one of the largest multifamily brokers in the United States. And his feeling was identical. Anything above, you know, 150, 200 units, it's, it's, it's a feeding frenzy from all the institutional capital, larger houses. Get down around 50, 60 units. Uh, there's some opportunity to be found. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, there's just too much money chasing too few deals. What kind of cap rates are you guys seeing out there uh, in terms of buying existing properties, even Section 8? What kind of caps are you seeing? Six percent is what we tend to see for the Section Eight stuff. Does that, work, does that work for you? you can, it can. It's just it depends on your cost of capital, I suspect. So, what about debt? What kind of debt are you seeing out there? What kind of rates and length of term, et cetera? Uh, there, it depends on if you've got a renovation in the short term needed, or um, obviously two twenty three F. The HUD money is the cheapest money in the world right now, and that's. Two and a half percent, thirty-five year amortization fixed rate. It's just takes six to nine months to close because it's HUD. Right. That's how it could Yeah. So six rates, six cap rates work all day long. Uh, the days of the double-digit cap rates have been it, it when I was in business years, decades ago. But six seems to be you know magical number. In fact, Bo Berry said last week if he's got a if he's got a six cap deal, it's gone instantly. So it's crazy money out there. Cost of capital is cheap. That's crazy, crazy out there right now in terms of competition. So just to wrap things up, guys, um, what, what are some final thoughts from you? We've got about a minute left. Um, what, what are some final thoughts from you guys going forward, which you see in 2021? Just real brief. Oh, uh, we like the asset class that we're focused in. We, we think that there's a lot of, uh, uncertainty uh, about what's coming down the line with the pandemic, uh, politics, et cetera. Uh, so the the affordable housing space, the low-income housing tax credits, the asset class with high barriers to entry is where we want to be, and we're really happy being there. And Avi, from you, any thoughts? Uh, you know, I would have said 2021 20, can't possibly be worse than 20, but the last three weeks have managed to make me look like an idiot, so I'm not <laughs> making any <laughs> But guys, I, I want to personally thank you guys. Absolutely. Uh, the, the goal here is to shed some insights, some some professional, you know, uh, insight on behalf of guys that are out there doing it. The guys that built the trenches, not the guys that are occupying the trenches. And you certainly certainly shared that expertise with us. Appreciate your time, um, and uh, good luck to you in 2021. We'll stay in touch. Thank you. It's great talking to you. Great. Thank good you. luck to you. Thanks so much for being and everybody for being on. Yep, and let's uh, let's get back together next week. Uh, we're looking forward to again another exciting show here at the Opportunity Zone.